0: The historians say that this was a time that's similar to ours right now, in that there was a lot of jockeying for position, a lot of trying to resolve uh, who's in charge. Uh, we used to have this small gathering around the fire that was comfortable and we got used to it. Now, larger groups were having uh, call them counties, states, Nations beginning to form. The first empire that uh, came to this area was about 200 years after the Buddha. Other empires that were present elsewhere in the world, uh, certainly in Iraq, uh, in the Mesopotamian area, uh, the archetype of the small family had changed. And now we're talking about larger groups of people. And emerging out of that was a leadership in the the Ganges Valley called Brahmins. And the Brahmins were very power oriented. And the, the structure of society really depended on having the Brahmin be the leader, the one who defined how we lived, how we practiced and so on. Coming into this very hierarchical uh, leader, follower archetype was the Buddha. And the Brahmins were very oriented, uh, directed toward having people follow, having people learn practices, uh, learn the rules, uh, follow the rules, stay within the bounds of your caste your society, and so forth. The man we call the Buddha brought an awareness that was developed over his own practice period, watching clearly, listening and observing, listening and observing himself and others. And he said something quite different. He said that our destinies are in our own hands that we choose our actions in our lives. And as we choose our actions, we create our lives. And every action that we choose has an outcome and we're responsible for those outcomes. So instead of depending on a Brahmin, a priest, a king, an emperor, a leader, whatever, Now we depend on ourselves. And then over 40 years, he taught, how do we learn about ourselves? How do we support ourselves? How do we express the best of ourselves? So this was a sea change in the way people saw themselves, society. And the 40-year teaching was to teach us wisdom. So wisdom is the fifth of the faculties. Wisdom is that ability to discern from the background what is important. And in fact, as the Buddha taught, what leads to freedom? What leads us to having our own life? and expressing and creating our own life. So discerning from all of the things in our in our history, our family, the place that we live, how do we discern those actions which are going to lead to our freedom? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we talk about that, I'd like to take just a moment and recap the four other faculties. So faculty is a word that relates to facility facilitation. It means an innate or acquired ability to do something, to, to make manifest. So the first faculty in our series had to do with faith or commitment. In terms of the Buddha's teaching, this is not faith or commitment as we think of it in in, in religious terms. It's not having the the faith to say that you believe in certain teachings or... Uh, certain guidelines, it's not that kind of faith. It's a different kind of faith. It's an ability to be present in your life, holding a value or an approach. And the Buddha counseled that what really helps is having a faith or a commitment to what he called the laws of karma. The first law of karma being that what we do counts. What we do, our actions matter. Our actions are real. From our actions, we create our lives. Second law being that as we act, we create results. And so from our actions, specific things result. And the third being that we have the ability to choose those results that we wish. So this was a freeing insight. Up until the time of the Buddha, the teaching was that people got into life. They pretty much stayed where they were. They didn't have much of a chance to change, and wherever they began, they'd end. The teaching of the Buddha was that anyone, anywhere, can find true freedom. The first facility, faculty then, to have a belief or a commitment or a faith that there is value in our lives, that it matters, that every thought matters, every action matters. So to get that sense of aliveness, that we are creating our lives and that it's important and that we can create just as we choose, we can make our lives rich, vital, it's up to us. So that's number one. Second is effort, so that having a commitment or a faith, then applying effort, we make manifest as we choose. Without effort, we create, we take action, things happen, and we haven't really presented ourselves, we haven't put ourselves into our life. Effort is that quality of putting ourselves, our values, how we see life, what we want to create. Putting that forward, making that most important. And then two that work together, mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness is, as Gill, our teacher, says, It is the ability to self-correct. And it's interesting to think about when we are involved in, say, we're playing um, a sport or something like that. We know the rules and we kind of go through it. As we adjust, we are self-correcting. So we can either do it the same way we've always done it or we can notice ah, there's a better way. We can notice that there's a way that gives us more of what we want. Mindfulness is that ability. There's four parts of mindfulness. The first is simply noticing, second, accepting or allowing so that we embrace what we've noticed, the third is to investigate. And so as practitioners, as we sit and use meditative practice in our lives, we have the opportunity to do this, to, to notice, to accept, and then to lightly investigate. Many teachers say that the inner question is, what is this? So if we live our lives with that Inner question. What is this? It keeps us alert. We come without preconceptions, prejudices. We come fresh. We come with that open mind, that beginner's mind that says, what is this? So this is mindfulness, noticing what is this? And then concentration, the fourth of the faculties. Being a stability, so that the what is this has a chance to be experienced, if we don't have concentration and we move quickly from one thing to another, we never really have a chance to develop, to settle, to to kind of um, become uh, settled and identified. So concentration is that ability that we have, that we choose, to be present for just what is without being distracted. Somebody once said to me that the secret to a good life is being focused. And we can have lots of experiences, but those people that have lots of experiences without concentrating or focus get to the end of their lives and they say, wow, that was fast and it's all over. And, you know, there's some things that I wish I had done. And, you know, regret becomes the way you end your life. And so the teachings of the five faculties then give us this opportunity to not come to the end of a chase or a rapid experience, but to just settle, to have concentration and focus, to notice what is this, to build upon effort, effort that we put forward, and to have that come from really what is deeply within us, our what we are committed to, our values. Uh, call it faith. So those are the four faculties that. So far, we've addressed in this series. So tonight, I'm going to talk about the end <laughs> faculty. Call it, uh, you folks that watched the World Series last week, you know the concept of the closer. Papelbon is the guy that came in at the end of the game and had the fastballs and just, uh, you know, dazzled the hitters, and he finished. Well, wisdom is kind of like that. Wisdom is the overarching peace, facility, capability that really gives us something that we can be alive with. Wisdom is made up of a couple things. I mentioned before discernment, being able to cut away that which is not beneficial to us discrimination, being able to decide, to be clear. I'll share a story that I like a lot. It happened in the Home Depot in Palo Alto, East Palo Alto. It was about 5.20 one Friday afternoon, and shoppers were in there buying this and that for the weekend. And a gentleman who wasn't that old, about 50, was walking down one of the um, aisles and had a heart attack. Fell down. People gathered around. And it was one of those high-intensity experiences that sort of galvanized people. And so everybody was you know, wanting to make some positive influence, but not knowing exactly what to do. And the end result was that the poor chap with a heart attack was on the floor, surrounded, couldn't really breathe. Uh, people were talking and chattering. You can imagine the confusion and the chaos. It was a time that was ripe for some wisdom, for some discrimination. And sure enough. A young man who was a salesperson working at that Home Depot saw that there was this clutch of anxious people gathered around this man that needed some space and some help. And so he got one of those rolls of yellow barrier tape, you know, construction tape that they have that they put around to isolate uh, parts of construction sites. And he kind of walked into the crowd and he said, excuse me, folks. Could I have you move back? I'm just going to put this tape here so that this man here can have some space. And he created a perimeter. Everybody kind of moved back outside the perimeter. A few people who really knew what they were doing could get close to him. People could uh, notice what was needed. Somebody needed to call 911. Somebody needed to check his identification to see if uh, a relative could be contacted and so on. And so all of a sudden from chaos emerged people that were clear, uh, taking effective action, moving to help this man. I had the opportunity in my role as a CARA grief counselor to go talk to the employees that were involved in this about two hours after it happened. And it was a remarkable experience because this young man had you know, been a sort of a faceless entity in the group before. No one really had noticed him. But all of a sudden, everybody realized that his contribution was vital. Just moving that tape and creating a perimeter gave a chance for people to kind of focus, concentrate, settle, apply right effort and make a positive difference for the man that needed the help. So I think that illustrates wisdom in practice. Now, there's a couple of things to notice. One is that we don't usually have the right comfortable setting to apply wisdom. And it's one thing to apply wisdom when you're sitting on the Dharma seat here and you've had a chance to get your thoughts together and add, Done some reading and I listened to Gill's talk about wisdom and so forth. That's an easy way to demonstrate or talk about wisdom. It's harder in our lives because things happen quickly, unexpectedly. And so, what comes forward, what comes out of us, has lots of pressure, lots of distraction. So it behooves us to develop what comes forward first before we get into high intensity events like something at Home Depot. So the thing to notice about wisdom is that we can develop it. We can prepare for activities where we can demonstrate it. And the way we do that is by meditating practicing, practicing our inner awareness so that we can be in the midst of noise, confusion and chaos and still be able to make decisions, see clearly and act in our own best interest and the best interest of others. So that's wisdom. It's a remarkable quality, which For the most part, we only see in retrospect. We look back on our lives and we can see places where, as Robert Frost said, two roads diverged into the wood. I chose one and it made all the difference from the twenty five hundred year old tradition. As we choose our actions, that makes all the difference. There's an old teaching that says, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a pattern, sow a pattern, reap a destiny. I like to substitute a little bit, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit. Reap a destiny. So every thought counts. And isn't it a gift to us that we've come to the Dharma, that we've come to meditation, that we have a practice that allows us to be in touch with our thinking? Our thinking can run away with us. The more we sit, the more we get stable. So we concentrate and are mindful, the more we can see how we choose our thinking. And from our thinking comes all that we do in our lives. So how we choose between the two roads that diverge into the woods, that's wisdom. And I want to emphasize that it's not about getting the right answer. Our culture is very oriented around getting right answers. I remember in grade school how, you know, if you had the right answer, boy, everybody was smiling and you got to go, you know, to special places and people were patting you on the back. And if you didn't get the right answer, eh, that was, it was not good. Yeah. So we have this kind of built in desire to have the right answer. That's not about wisdom. Wisdom is not finding the right answer. Wisdom is finding what our answer is, finding what comes from deep within us, our our commitment, our faith, our orientation to life. Finding that, not being swept away by the chaos of the moment. So wisdom or discernment or discrimination in a big sense gives us our lives as we apply the five faculties. We find that we can be at choice rather than being driven. I'll tell you another story. <clears throat> this is a story about my grandmother who, uh, when her husband died, had lots of energy and enthusiasm and scraped together the money to go to Hawaii. She always dreamed about going to Hawaii. She took this trip to Hawaii and, you know, being first time in the tropics, she came from Denver. So she had, you know, uh, winters and summers. And oh, my gosh, the tropics, the tropics were just so remarkable. So she was standing at a bus stop and waiting for a bus to come. She was going to go somewhere to visit a museum or something. Door opens on the bus. She looks up and notices a man coming down the stairs. And by the way the man was moving, the first thought she had was, "Oh my gosh, this guy's drunk." He was sort of reeling, you know, not not moving effectively down these stairs. And she had this kind of dread, "Oh no, ah, you know. Here I am in paradise, and I have to deal with this. And so that was the first thought that she had. But then the second thought was, he is a human being. He needs help. She opened her arms, and as he came down the stairs, he fell out of the bus, and she caught him put him down, settled him down, looked, and realized that he was physically disabled, not drunk. He had a crutch that she hadn't seen, and he was just having a hard time getting down the stairs. So there were two roads diverging into the woods. Judgment, embrace, honor. And the wisdom that she had developed over a lifetime prepared her to instantaneously be there with what she really wanted to be. Something that she had faith in, commitment to, honoring a human being no matter what. So I like that story because it it gives us a sense of wisdom as being... uh, a process that has great consequence. Wisdom doesn't always work out. Uh, I had a chance about a year ago to go to uh, Mexico to visit with the gray whales in the lagoon where the gray whale mamas come to have the babies. And The gray whales have been going to the same lagoons, two or three lagoons, on the west coast of Baja, California, for millennia. In the 1850s or so, whalers discovered these lagoons and were able to harvest lots and lots of whales. And the whale population went way down. The whalers uh, would show up in the lagoon when the mamas were pregnant and, you know, essentially had little resistance to their harvesting these whales. A guy named Charles Scammon was captain of one of these ships and became pretty wealthy and well-known. That by about the 1870s, the whale population had decreased so much because of over predating on the part of the whalers that it wasn't really commercially viable anymore. And so Scammon gave up the whaling and spent the rest of his life kind of digesting uh, the experiences he'd had. He was able to retire. He lived on the East Coast and he wrote a book. About what was then called Scammon's Lagoon, about how he regretted those years where he was taking advantage of these mother whales and baby whales. And he ended his life with that regret that I mentioned before saying, Oh, I wish I had not done that. I wish I had, you know, found some other way to make a living or whatever. And so later in life, he got wisdom, but not in a way that was uh, that positive for him. He was a man that died with regrets, even though he had created uh, monetary financial wealth in his life. He died because there were two roads that diverged in the woods, and he chose one that he later regretted. So wisdom is that facility, that faculty that gives us our lives, our ability to choose how we live our lives. And every day, moment by moment, thought by thought, if we are mindful, concentrated, if we come from who we truly are and apply effort, right effort in the right direction, We will act in wise ways and we will build lives that we can feel proud of, that we feel energy around and that we can share. And in the long run, we will look back and we will say, you know, I had the freedom to do what I wanted to do and I did. And I'm glad. No regrets. Well, those are my thoughts. I want to just end with a piece that I use uh, as sort of my meditative phrase. As I sit down to meditate, I say inwardly uh, a series of phrases that kind of uh, are like sitting up straight, only they're for my inner self, not my body, but my inner self. And so I get my inner self to sit up straight and be attentive and be alert. So if you'll join me, I'd like to just have everybody get into a sitting posture. We'll just sit for a minute. I'll say some meditative phrases about the faculty of wisdom. And then we'll end and have a chance for questions and responses. May my practice free me quickly so that I may, with a light heart and a clear mind, move out into life just as it is. Open to it just as it is. With no clinging, no holding back. No creating structures, but being open to what wants to be created. May I find the love and freedom of an open and alert mind, a caring and compassionate heart, And may my life end with appreciation for all the opportunity I have had to create it. Well, there's some thoughts about faculties developing skills, gaining our life, choosing well when there's two roads diverging. So what I'd like to do is suggest that in our lives there are both times when we've made a wise choice and times when we've not made such a wise choice. That's why we're living. We have the opportunity to see the results of our actions and choose. So just as a way of starting a discussion or a sharing, I'd like to ask you. What is it in your life that allows you to choose when two roads diverge? So think about a time where two roads have diverged. What is it that let you choose, that guided your choice, that supported a a clear, wise choice? Yes. And uh, if you don't mind, share your name, please. My
1: name is Mary.
0: Yeah, Mary. Oh, hang on until we get the microphone there.
1: My name is Mary. I had a time about 20 years ago that I can remember that I could choose to go to graduate school or uh, take care of my mother who had had a heart attack. And um, I wanted both very much. But I think the uh, factor that led me was that I, I loved my mother, but I wanted to love her more. And um, it would give me time not only to care for her. I'm a nurse. Uh, to find out about her. And uh, it seemed to me to be a sacred thing.
0: Nice. Yeah, and uh, how long did that go on? How how long were you? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. My goodness.
1: I learned more than in graduate school.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Beautiful. And I, I can just see by your face that... That was a choice that you look back on without regret.
1: No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. Anybody else share a two roads diverging story? Your
1: name? Closer. My name's Todd. Todd. Great. And uh, the thing that's interesting to me about wisdom and my practice is that up until my practice, making conscious choices is something that was a challenge for me. Uh, I don't feel like I was making conscious choices. I was acting more out of habituated conditioning and patterns and behaviors. And so, to be in my mid 30s and to look back on my life and to see the choices that I've made and to realize that a lot, you know, some of the unwise ways in which they've been motivated motivated by greed or self interest, um, uh, selfishness, you know. Uh, There is some regret there that I didn't find uh, method or ways to make choices more consciously, Um, though I did the best that I could. I also have compassion for myself and feel glad that I finally found the Dharma and found uh, something which is helping me make more conscious choices. But for me, the thing that's very interesting is is. um, just implementing that wisdom in my life. And I'm really relatively new to uh, this practice. And so just seeing, you know, how is it, you know, what do I look to when I make decisions? Um, You know, how will this impact other people and thinking of other people more? Uh, How does it feel in my body? You know, like, you know, which, which choice, if I choose this or if I choose that? Uh, in considering those things, but it's still very difficult, you know, I mean, particularly when I have a lot of ambivalence, like uh, it's a decision that I'm not sure what's the right one, you know, so it's actually um, it's a really uh, it's a struggle with, with some decisions knowing which one to make. And uh, I think and, and that's, I could find myself standing there sometimes. What I choose. Yeah. But it's you like can you see the two way. roads,
0: but which one to choose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes it's a, a process of just going into the silence. The phrase that I like a lot is don't just do something. Sit there. The reverse of don't just sit there, do something. Don't just do something. Sit there to me gives us permission to just let those roads stay there and just yeah take it in, take it in. Just be silent and just let the the commitment, the faith, let that kind of bubble up or emerge. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, It's. Rare in our fast paced lives that we have an opportunity to take the time. But in the long run, it benefits us and everybody else so much when we just take the time to just sit, let the choices wait and just wait for that wisdom to emerge. And uh, sometimes the waiting is longer than we'd like it to be. Thanks for sharing that, Todd. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank goodness that we've all found practice. I mean, isn't practice a piece of work, a joy, a, a precious gift that somehow we got? You know, here we are tonight instead of out doing all sorts of other things that we could be doing. Just sitting. What a gift. Anybody else? We have time, maybe for one more person to share observations, story. Yes, please.
1: Uh, my name is Matt. Uh, for me, I've struggled with overeating a lot in my adult life. So, what kind of helps me to not overeat sometimes is I think about not just what's going to happen that night, but how I'll feel the next morning, and and how that leads to the next afternoon, and you know, so kind of I think about I weigh the, uh, the temporary gratification as opposed to the health and, you know, the next day and how I feel when I wake up in the morning. So that helps me to kind of, you know, make healthier choices sometimes. Hmm.
0: Nice. Thanks for sharing that. I, to me, in the language of the five faculties that were taught by the Buddha for 40 years, he would say, you know, you really get it that there are consequences to your actions. The results and you can choose. And so developing a practice where you're mindful, where you notice what those consequences are, gives you a chance to choose. What freedom, what freedom. So. Well, I would like to invite us to do a little bit of quiet sitting and then I'll share just one last piece of insight uh, that we can hold that maybe will help us when the roads, when the choice between the two roads isn't so clear, will help us stop and sit and wait. So just get into a meditative posture. And as we settle... Just acknowledge that there is that place inside us that is concentrated. It is stable. The stability has an openness, a spaciousness, so that we can hold all the events of our lives. All the demands and questions and concerns all of the pressures, there is a place within us where we can hold that all before acting. It's spacious, it's open, it has a brightness. Some teachers say that the inner life is characterized by light and love. So, in comparison to the small group gathered around the fire seeking comfort and safety in others, as we touch that light, open, spacious place inside us, we find that those needs for safety, for support, that they drop away and that we can choose freely how we act, where we are. The man we call the Buddha, in his last teaching from the Parinibbana Sutta, was asked what is The ultimate teaching. Give us that one teaching that we can hold after you're gone, that we can always have with us. What is that one ultimate wise teaching that can guide us through our difficult lives? The Buddha meditated and then said, Words to the effect of, be a light unto yourself. Sometimes it's translated as be an island unto yourself. The sense being that we are a whole unit that is self lighted. We choose how we move and where we go and how we associate. But our choosing, our inner holding of life is self-lighted. We are a light unto ourselves. We discover more and more of ourselves. We become more and more spacious so that we can hold all of the things of life, the, the fun the horrible, the difficult, the challenging, the exciting, whatever. We can hold it all. And with time and care, with faith, with commitment to what we believe in, with applying effort. To support what we're committed to and what we believe in. With being mindful of our opportunities and our actions and the results of our actions. And being centered and stable with all of these faculties that we have just within us, just within this body. We develop wisdom over our lives, a wisdom that sets us free and sets others free. So the simple teaching, first the Buddha said, practice vigorously, practice vigorously. And then he said, and be a light unto yourself. Thanks so much for sharing this experience this evening. Thank you for your practice. What a gift it is to be with others that care and are committed and have faith and practice. What a gift.